Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the uh, book club for dummies. <laughs> the, <laughs> Dev- <laughs> the DevOps for dummies book club. Woo, woo. Um, yeah. Hello. Welcome, Piero. Welcome, David. Good to be here. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. How is, uh, how is everyone? Piero? Got your AirPods? Got your... AirPods have been the bane of my life since working remotely. Oh, dear. They hurt. They hurt my ears over time. Yeah, not for me. Mine usually always work. My the people we support are like, "Hey, I've got these AirPods. They don't work." I'm like, "Hey, uh, what do you want from me?" Support personal devices. Too true. Too true. How's everyone, David? We chatted quickly earlier. You've been having adventures. Well, yeah, you know, just the usual job searching and stuff, and. Uh, Studying, enjoying the view from my window here of the fall autumn leaves. Very nice. Whoa. It's very zen of you. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Vancouver. Yes, it is. Uh, Though uh, very cold. It was very cold this morning. I noticed a a, a significant chill in the air. Yes, yes, there is. And it wasn't political for once, but I'm (laughs) bummed. Yes. Definitely feels like fall here now. It's like, wow. (laughs) <laughs> we're supposed to be minus 12 celsius on uh, saturday so wow yeah minus 12. you live in a hot cold desert in a in a hot cold yeah, country i mean yeah it was like 25 not two weeks ago here <laughs> so wow. that's so wow global warming you know it's not a thing see it's yeah, cold definitely not it's, it's getting colder right all right <laughs> we we normally don't see freezing temperatures until november here right and we've had two frosts already uh it was uh zero degrees this morning when we rode in and yeah it's gonna be minus 12 by by saturday do you uh, use anything on your face uh jd when you're when you're riding when it's that cold yeah i have uh snowboarding goggles that i wear and then a balaclava yeah yeah i got one of those yeah it's 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 too cold although and i bought i broke down and bought uh Barmit knockoffs off the the uh, Amazonia, uh, so they're uh, they basically just kind of go over the handlebars and you slide your hands in there. And those, in addition to gloves, keep your hands actually pretty toasty. You gotta send me a link to that. Uh, yeah, they were like twenty dollars. It was stupid cheap. I'm sure that's about fifty in Canadian Amazon yeah. dollars. Everything is everything well, is double yeah. the price. So you oh, know, yeah. just find something similar and you'll be fine. They zip, um, they zip on and have a little Velcro to to tidy the tidy it up and kind of cinch it down around the cables so that you don't have a lot of airflow through it. But uh, yeah, they're they're nice. Is it kind of like the thing in? Uh, I've been watching uh, Ewan McGregor's uh, Long Way Round, uh, and he he had some gloves that were attached to the handlebars of the motorcycle, and they would just put their hands in them. Yeah, um, probably. I've not seen that show, but I don't watch much of anything, so. Well, step one in the JD intervention, you need to watch more TV, my friend. And um, 
we went off the rails there. I blame me. I blame me. Uh, yes back to devops for dummies the uh non-gender specific uh political apolitical uh neutral tech loving um book all about working together in teams where we love everyone automating automating and testing automating your testing yes okay let's start again hi i'm matt x (laughs) 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 automating your tests (laughs) i love how she uh certain things (laughs) just sort of it's like you could almost go through the chapter and just pick out the headings uh not like i did that and didn't read the chapter but you know you could pick out just like one or two (laughs) things that are just really (laughs) interesting testing isn't optional i thought that was like screaming out in the beginning totally Um, yes but i i beg to differ matt you you test Test in production (laughs) Testing is 100% option. I just take offense right at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, um, I don't really feel included or uh, part of this. Um, yeah. I mean, she links testing to our ability to automate. So, yes, no testing, no automation. But, I mean, I, dig, I disagree again. I can automate without testing. So, again, in production. So. <laughs> <laughs> but then you would be asking for trouble, right? Yeah. I, I tend to ask for it every day. I'm asking for trouble. <laughs> <laughs> trouble is your middle name. Yeah. Um, I liked how she called out the three purposes of testing. One is to confirm that the logic fulfills the function, to confirm that, I guess, the thing is doing what we want it to do. Mm-hmm. Number two, to discover bugs. Just defects number three ver- verify previous functions still work <laughs> well totally agree i mean I, I haven't delved deeply into this kind of caveat of testing myself but uh yes uh, and having worked with team members that have worked with this the uh you know <laughs> i think that the last one verifying verifying the previous functionality is still working and unchanged um so often we'll see or hear about uh you know, a minute change happening, you know, having gone through all the testing uh, stages and then fired up and suddenly, oh, yeah, that part, that no working anymore. We kind of need that credit card information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, regressions, uh, I guess, is the great word. It's almost like an ag- aggression, the aggressions of <laughs> code uh, defects. Totally. JD, you're fond of testing and testing. I, I do like to test when, when possible, yes. <laughs> I, I have a small test environment that consists of a 2012 Mac Mini, and uh, most of my testing is uh, monkey-related, but sometimes mm-hmm. I test my code, but mostly that's me beating my head against the, the desk going, why, why, <laughs> why doesn't this work? True, true. Hey, JD, you have, once you've done your testing um, and roll it out into prod, have you ever found... Uh, any you know weird issues happen and it turns out to be something unrelated that you didn't think was going to happen but ended up you know not functioning the way you thought it was going to um yeah i mean occasionally um you know i don't i don't change a lot of stuff and i i have found that sticking with defaults is always the best course of action mm-hmm. <laughs> um i know other colleagues who like to tinker with everything and and insist that they need to customize packages and whatnot for their their clients, uh, you know, down to the nth degree. And and I just I'm that's not my that's not my style. If you want that level of control and you wanna you wanna punish your employees or students that bad, then then I'm not the right person for you. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, I, that uh, education goes a lot further. Documentation, I know uh, Matt hates that word, but, <laughs> um, but, you know, educating, educating folks to do the right thing with the resources that they're given, I feel is a better course of action than being punitive and saying, no, you can't change the desktop picture. I, I don't care. <laughs> You know, as a, if the students change the desktop uh, picture, they're, uh, most of the student accounts that I manage uh, are all guest accounts anyway. So it's just going to reset to the school logo when they log out and log back in anyway. So have at it. If you want to waste your time doing that, go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, I seriously. And there are some kids that are just like, that's the first thing they do is go set the desktop background. I'm like, right, fine. It's not, you know, and I've had it school administrators just like, we can't have this. And I said, why? why? You know, <laughs> what, what actual, well, they might put something offensive. Well, then that's a, a discussion that you need to have with the student. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Right? Totally. That I yeah. mean, you you probably want to know that instead of just barring them from doing it and never knowing that that student otherwise would have chosen to put something offensive on as the background for the screen. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't. Uh, defaults uh, are they're there for a reason, right? I mean, Apple hides a lot of stuff on us, and and I do like to expose certain things, like you know the stupid scroll bar. Uh, I yes. don't know why Apple hides those. Uh, it visually stumps people. The natural scrolling is another one that drives me personally crazy, but others like it. So, but for the most part, I just don't, I don't tinker with things. So when you, when you don't tinker, there's less chances of, of there being problems, I guess. Mm -hmm. How's that for a short answer? <laughs> That's that I'm like, I was going to send in a couple of teams of specialists to, to Piero, um, testing. Uh, what is testing? No, I think brilliant. I I agree, like I genuinely agree with this like concept of testing is paramount. We need testing. We need to do a lot of stuff. But it, in in our daily job, is really hard, and it's something that I like. I battle a lot, and I try to figure out how can I test stuff. Like, what does it mean for a Mac admin to test? Yes. Do we test, like do we shard the fleet and deploy to smaller bits of the fleet changes? Do we do Matt style and just throw everything in production? <laughs> if it breaks, we fix it. Um, I don't know. Like it, it's really hard. Like we have VMs, we have like snapshots, and like now everyone is it's it's. I don't even know where to start when oh new new macOS comes out. We need to test stuff. I mean, most of the times, like organ like big organization have the means and, and the, the capacity to do, to run all that test. But it's really hard to get. I cannot go to my manager and say, hey, I want to spend two weeks to figure out how we properly test monkey packages before we deploy them. So he's going to yeah. look at me yeah. and he thinks I'm mad, right? It's not, it's not, whilst no one would say anything if, if they were saying, well, we're deploying this new single sign-on module to our product and we're going to spend the, a week writing tests or we're going to like develop it with test driven development where where we build the tests first and then we build the software and no no one will say yeah some people will actually say well that's that's very good practice great more people should do like you but if i do it and it's like uh no sorry um it's, well, I it's think complicated there's, there's different levels right we're we're talking about testing code um, there's also writing codes in code, like testing in your code. Like, you know, a lot of times I'll write a script, like do this. And I don't even test if 
that file is there, that directory is there, or something is there. So there's testing in your code. Test if these conditions, you know, before going. And then there's testing your code, running it through some kind of automated testing or uh, in a VM. And then there's also the the live testing, like what we often run into with, as Mac admins. Uh, we test in production or we test on certain parts of our fleet. And one manual one manual way of doing that is having these. I don't know what's the right word to call them? Uh, sort of canaries, uh, people that want to be on the edge. And when you're on the bleeding edge, you get the bloody nose. But there's certain people that want to be on that bleeding edge, and they're okay with that. So we have to have people that are resilient, that are eager, and that are okay with the fact that you might have to just re, you know, erase their iPhone or erase their Mac if it's not working and make sure you have backups. But somebody has to be testing. Like I have one user with this one client site is always on the betas, always has to have the latest version. But that helps me because we run into issues right away. And he knows that I can't always fix those issues right away. But then I, it puts it on my radar for, oh, in that next version of the OS, I'm going to change this behavior in Monkey because now certificates you know, are treated differently or I have, to, I have to treat them differently or I have to deploy that you know, in a different way. You know, certificates. <laughs> yeah, so I, I've been saved by my canary a couple of times because while I <laughs> sometimes have time for testing, not always. This is the first summer that I've had a test machine and sort of been poking at it made a more, you know, I actually deployed some simple MDM profiles and tested some stuff, um, you know, file vaulting and different uh, profiles. But usually it's just my canary's on there and the canary will report issues and they're okay with not being solved right away because they're not production. So the the thing, though, is especially for somebody like Piero, your, your justification for doing some testing, I'm not saying two weeks of testing, but at least like taking a machine and rolling out this new operating system and, and, and running through it is that if something goes awry and you take all of the computers out because you deployed it to all of the computers, how much does that cost in time? No, that's. Yeah, right. That, that, that that's fair, right? And and we we we're very careful when we deploy stuff. But then also, like, I'm lucky enough that my manager says, "Go on, do it," and I know you'll fix it if it, if you break it. So it's, okay. it's good, but it's uh, I think it's it's hard to find like the there's some level of purity that Emily talks about in the book that it's hard to find for us in in our daily job as as Mac admins because like. Matt, you have a canary. I have some canaries as well, but you can't rely like you you don't get a yes or no like test green or red, right? There are things that we can test, like for example, we can make sure that our code is linted. We can make sure that our code runs, and we can use like standard tools for that. But we don't have like it's really hard to build a pipeline to out test app deployments from Monkey. And we, we most of the time we rely on the community and most of the time we rely on larger orgs that produce these auto package packages that we, we all use. And I guess that's second tier testing. So somebody else has tested this for us and we trust them that works. But it, it would be interesting to 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 understand how like how people are actually testing things in, in their fleets, I think. Yeah, I mean, testing with humans is often tricky. I, I had a bunch of users reach out to me about some emails they received, and I always tell the users that before you click on links or before you download software, even though things are managed with Monkey and others, if you want to reach out to me and just bounce an idea off of me before you do something, then I'm happy to do that. And two users reached out and said, what's this email? This seems suspicious. And then 
you know, looking at the email, I realized it, it was, it's definitely a sort of well-disguised email, but it was from a, like a targeted phishing campaign, but a phishing campaign by the, by the company, you know, like a thinly disguised test, test your users. If they click on this link that there, it's like big, bold letters, don't click on this link. And then here's a shiny link, you know, it's like, yeah. yeah. And so, um, I mean, I saw it and I was like, hmm, seems like they're doing an automated phishing campaign test on all their, their users. Okay. Um, I don't remember them saying anything that they were going to do this, but, you know, that's what it looks like. And then a couple of users reached out going, this seems suspicious. Should I click on this? What is this? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, no, I mean, I'm glad you reached out because, you know, there's been a couple other emails where <laughs> there's been, I've seen the emails where it's like, oh, I'm your VP. Uh, reach out to me with your phone number and credit card information right away. And then like so many people were like, I clicked on that link and that person needed help. <laughs> Just like, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's better for them to reach out and, you know, contact help desk or the IT people that help them and go, is this okay? But yeah, testing in production, that's testing on your live humans, you know, do they click on links? Mm. But here's a question to all. Do, do all of you allow your uh, end users to manage their systems or do you lock that down and you manage all their installation updates and everything else? We do both. The way I have it set up is Monkey will basically discover if they've installed something and if it's right. something that we're managing updates on we'll we'll take over and continue to update mm -hmm. but i don't lock it down so much that like chrome yeah and it it messes with them a little bit because like chrome updates in the background and i don't disable that um right. but chrome gets pissy because it's not it's owned by the admin user not by the user right, right. so it can't can't update. Uh, I try very hard to ensure that folks aren't running as admins unless mm -hmm. they absolutely need to be. Right. Uh, yeah. Mostly just for sanity. Like, yeah. Don't don't mess with stuff, and you don't need to mess with the printers and stuff like that. Totally, Pierre. What about you on your end there? Oh, we're, we're all admins, and uh, we manage a life on the edge, real <laughs> edge, real edge. But like we. Half of our company are developers, so it's yeah, yeah. You can taking away that. admin, like, and, yeah. and that's like, oh, we're locking down people, so they, and then we're, we're making an exception for the people that are actually going to make trouble if right. they're admin. Like, yeah. if if they remove a printer, I don't, I don't worry about it. They, they, it's it's AirPrint. They can just add it again. It's yep, totally three minutes of work for us. We manage a bunch of like core apps. Mm -hmm. Namely, like Chrome, um, the CrowdStrike um, antivirus, whatever it's called, uh, next gen antivirus, whatever it is, and the various like internal packages for uh, setting up the dock and, and the, all that stuff for the first boot. And then the rest of the time, if they, we used to manage Office, but we were not distributing Office to everyone. So everyone is free to download it from monkey and then monkey will keep it updated. Right. And if we notice that we, if we notice like an increased use in, in applications, we, we have reporting in Sal, we, we evaluate if we want to add it to the catalog in monkey. So for example, like things like sublime atom, mm -hmm. visual studio code that we, like these things, sometimes Adobe breather, for example, people are like, Oh, can I have Adobe breather? Sure. Yeah. Here's your monkey link. Get go and install it. And we know that that way that's taken care of by, you know, other package takes care of it and 
we don't have to worry about it going forward. Well, and it's just a faster install than than letting them download it, double click on it, you know, step yeah. through five screens of installer. Yeah. It's a much better experience for you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, um, usually my users are not admins, but I try to manage everything in Monkey. Um, that's more uh, <laughs> attainable goal, uh, a goal that's more attainable if you have a smaller uh, workforce or you <laughs> can anticipate all their needs, which is not always easy. So, you know, a bunch of self-service scripts in Monkey to do things they need to do. Um, but occasionally with certain trusted users, we use the Privileges app from SAP, Rich Trotten, to elevate privileges. Um, Occasionally, some users get uh, an admin account that they can use but not live in. Um, but yeah, it comes with, it comes with trust uh, and responsibility. So yeah, with care. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I've taken the Alex Narvi's lead. Uh, you know, he's put together a bunch of uh, like one-off uh, monkey. I don't know what they would be plugins, I guess. Self-service uh, scripts. Self-service scripts, yeah. Um, to do things like that, where I'll, I'll push something like that out uh, that they can select, quote unquote, install, and it'll it'll just uh, you know wipe their hard drive for them. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Know, take care of whatever the issue is. Yeah, Alex did a really nice uh, self-service script uh, with nice Illustrator icons and everything, and like. Yeah, really nice, but you can't always anticipate everything. But I try to put stuff in Monkey, and it does help. But with everybody on either a VPN or trying to access Monkey from outside the network, it's it's putting a strain on certain people's abilities to use Monkey sometimes. But <laughs> I've had to have a couple computers delivered to my house so I could just do it and then return it. So that's not really a great model sometimes. But <laughs> to Matt, would uh, you know some of your clients be open to the idea of sort of DMZing? Uh, monkey. I mean, that could be dangerous, I guess, though, for packages and stuff. But would that be something to consider as well, or no? Uh, well, some clients. I mean, they can have a, like a fully secure monkey outside the network. I mean, we can secure it with basic auth and and you know TLS. Um, but other ones, they just don't want anything. They want the least amount of things exposed possibly. So everybody's through VPN. Right. So as we say, you know, CEOs or CIOs or COVID nineteen, which is the greatest agent of change. Um, COVID-19 has pushed a lot of people to trust the cloud more than ever, whether it's Azure or AWS or Google Cloud. And a lot of people are going to Azure with Microsoft services. So, you know, Azure 2FA and mm-hmm. using, uh, you know, Microsoft services. I mean, it's the cloud is where it's at. Um, and <laughs> iCloud is, is, is laughed at, but it's very useful. But for some, some corporations, they're definitely going to go all in with Azure and AD and um, so hopefully, you know, I see, um, I see some good coming out of uh, some small, tiny, very thin silver lining in 2020, where people are being pushed more to trusting the cloud and getting away from this firewall VPN, everything locked under, you know, this imaginary wall. So the reason I asked that, Matt, is you were, when you were mentioning VPN, I mean, I'm, you know, can only imagine that if you've got uh, a handful or many users trying to access something at the same time over their VPN connections, that's not going to be awesome on the network, right? So well, not doing uh, you know our Catalina or Big Sur installs through Monkey through the VPN. No, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but that that brings up you know that one cute little app from Armin Briegel. Uh, it was like it was some kind of had a neat name like Automator, uh, but he had an app that basically would kind of like auto package, but it would just let people grab the apps directly from the vendors. So 
Um, you could do that for a service, like a self-service setup. Right. Um, that that could be useful. But I mean, with Monkey pushing everybody to system preferences, because uh, Monkey was able to manage uh, into some capacity uh, fully and even partially software updates. But now with the uh, unreliable behavior of the software update command and and a sort of unreliable changing behavior of Apple's uh, underlying tool sometimes, uh, Monkey since five or five one has changed its behavior to um, yes, Installmator. That was the yeah. But uh, Apple uh, Monkey's changing their behavior to push when you need uh, a restart app. It basically uh, it pushes that right to the system preferences. So um, right now, I'm not really worried too much about updating anybody through the VPN for OSs because they can be pushed directly to um, uh, you know to Apple for those large installs. But yeah, it's, I, I would prefer to have things, you know, outside of the VPN, you know, because that's where most people are living anyway. I mean, uh, emails in the cloud in a service somewhere, you know, so, um, yeah, it depends on the clients for sure. And their level of risk that they're willing to take, depending on what kind of work, what kind of industry they're in. Um, and you have to sort of push as much as you can, but follow, um, rules, regulations and, uh, comfort level of the client. So. And sometimes uh, you have to show the client the way, you know, you, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, they have to see it uh, before they're going to believe it. So it's at least in my experience, it's nice to to be able to show them like a little bit of a before and after. And I, I normally do that by finding the worst computer on their network, uh, installing monkey on it, letting it update everything, kind of tidy everything up and then go now. How does this look? <laughs> They're like, yeah. oh, oh, this is much better. And you know, here, here's what transpired, and showing them a little bit of of what happened, uh, either th- normally through Monkey Report, um, and uh, that that tends to settle nerves that way for those that are still wearing their tinfoil hat. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely trust Auto Package and have Auto Package trust. When we trust the recipes and have that process, I trust that process a little bit more to uh, vet software and prepare it for uh, the clients rather than something where I've seen some people have like developer scripts where basically it's like, uh, oh, install brew, install this, install this, and it runs like a huge checklist where it pretty much curls through, you know, a script bash, you know, and pipe curl bash, blah, 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 and download everything instantaneously. And um, I think uh, Armin Briegel's Installimator was an, is an interesting uh, adaptation of Auto Package where it has all the checks. Check whether you know this is a, a trusted piece of software. Trust whether you know um, the uh, you know the the pro, not the profile but the, the the cert is signed if it's from a developer and you know so something like Installimator is a much more sane way uh, if you're going to run a script to install a bunch of software if you're not going to use the sort of Auto Package Monkey root. But uh, definitely, I, I I like the Auto Package Monkey root, and we'll see what. Uh, Jamf does in the future. They bought Mondata. It was an Australian company yeah. that was doing patching. So maybe they will one day have a better patch solution than they had before. <laughs> I think it's what their third, the fourth attempt. Yes. Yeah. Fail early, fail often. That's the DevOps way. <laughs> oh, no laughs. No laughs. <laughs> there you go. No laughs for you. <laughs> Continuous integration requires automation. With proper testing, we can fail fast and fail early and fail often. Yay! I understood the chapter. Success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. 
Yeah. I mean, back on the automation and things that can't be automated and, and, and our whole conversation about the things that tend to be very difficult to automate. I mean, Emily Freeman in the book talks about, we have to automate things that are repetitive, things that are labor intensive and prone to defects. So mm-hmm. like in my world, been trying to get things automated that we avoid spelling mistakes, like naming of files and folders and creating certain assets and elements that if somebody is going to create it and write down something, they're going to write it down 500 times differently. So that leads to <laughs> backups and archives and things having different names of the same simple words. So having a process that automates the creation of names and folders and things, that, that sometimes can help on one level. But yeah, testing software in production, that's a whole different level of, of pain. I mean, one thing she was saying with the testing was that you know we want to test it as code is committed into Git. So uh yeah once again a shout out to anybody who's doing git gitlab or github um and and using that with auto package and monkey and testing that uh, we'd love to hear from you because <laughs> yeah not everything is easy to test no. does, does monkey web admin have native support for git i don't know if it does i'm not using i haven't used monkey web admin in a while um, okay. I, I did test it. I think that that did it, but yeah. What would it do exactly? Like test? I don't know. I like my 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 ideal flow to make it like, make it work. It's similar to what the um, Nickmax Baden auto package tools would do. Auto package runs, opens up a branch, and then opens up a pull request to review that branch. And a human reviews the branch, and if it's sane, if it looks okay, clicks a button, and then continuous delivery and the, the whole pipeline mm-hmm. completes that so the human would have to read like you you would check like you have tests for i don't know um do the p list look fine do the do the recipes look fine you you would validate those you would have a look and then once you once you're okay with that you merge that to, to master and deploy master and that becomes the new auto package and that goes into the monkey repo and that's a uh, setup that Nick's using now, or I don't. I think they're they're, they're gone now. The oh. that they're, they're like deprecated. They they must have moved to something else internally. The the repo is still there, but in theory, if you have all your monkey repo in Git, which is doable except for the packages, and there are different like ways to do the packages, you could do that. Like when you when you even even your um, I don't know, like um, no packet, no no package um, scripts. You would have them there, and oh, I need to update this to change the the shebang. You update it in in Git, and that's then deployed to the to the monkey repo. There was that recent presentation at Mac DevOps oh. uh, running running auto package with at Gusto. Uh, at Gusto, yeah, I think, yeah, that's and yeah, that's using GitHub Actions. It was running with GitHub yes. Actions. I and I think, didn't. and I think that he is the one that mentioned that the GitHub actions with the Mac runner are extremely expensive. Right. Yes. 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 I think. Yeah. Well, it's definitely something that interesting. I mean, I keep having on my list a build, basically build out of PKG in Circle CI, which is probably what I would like to do. But I don't know how much it costs. It probably costs more to run an auto package in Circle CI than to host the entire Monkey repo. Mm. Yeah, I mean, at the Gusto level, it seemed like he said they were getting this kind of for free, but it would be expensive if you were doing it, um, you know, on your own just for that. Um, yeah. Uh, 
one day. Maybe that's that's a that's a good idea for a talk at MacDevops, <laughs> if I ever get to do it. Uh, yeah. Well, time is now for practice and practice. And speaking of which, uh, on the conference schedule, uh, we have a big conference coming up, the Australia AUC. uh, And um, I just noticed there was uh, a new talk that was announced called Inspired by DevOps. Oh, nice. Apparently, I'm giving it. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah, I got my talk accepted. Woo! (laughs) I uh, I saw that there was a deadline coming up, so I... uh, I uh, yeah threw in my uh, a really quick proposal to uh, give a talk about how to be how to ins- how to be inspired by DevOps for the IT Mac admin world and uh, so yeah I have a, a few weeks to get that ready. That's awesome. <laughs> you mean you have a few weeks to wait and then get it ready <laughs> and then three days to prep it. Why why do you think we have a DevOps book club? This is this is fuel. This is fuel for the fire, which is the dumpster fire, which is no um fail fail early, fail often. And I figured what we just said. Like, I already do two out of three, right? <laughs> fail, fail, fail. Uh, it's a good excuse to keep reading this book. I just want to say I see MWA for the monkey web admin, but I think of monkeys with attitude, kind of like NWA. <laughs> Monkeys with attitude. Uh, it should be monkey monkey admins with you know. It should be MWAA. You know, monkeys monkeys with monkey admins. Admin. Yeah, monkey admins with attitude. <laughs> I think that's the proper. Uh, there was another talk that was similar, but with 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 uh, GitLab or something. But um, yeah, some people are doing this, but I think it's at a scale that's not not normally done by most people. It's kind of interesting, I think, the the variety of scales, right? You have the large corporations that are rolling out thousands of, of endpoints, you know, if not tens of thousands of endpoints, then there's what I call the rest of the Mac admins who are dealing with somewhere between 10 and 500 computers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the amount of effort to maintain those 10 computers is actually more than the 500, which is feels like insanity to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I of course read the chapter completely and thoroughly, but I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, just speaking out of turn here, uh, as always, uh, there's a cost for not testing, right? Finding errors in your code, finding errors in production, finding things that deploying software that doesn't work, finding you know deploying software that breaks things. There's a cost for not testing. Making people unhappy. <laughs> Making people unhappy is the opposite of our job. Um, but uh, oh, wait, I think we're supposed to care about them. I think <laughs> JD, we've talked about this. Oh. Um, but as 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 an extension of what JD said, how it's more expensive on a smaller scale, and uh, you know, um, in the scales, it's expensive to test, and it's expensive. It takes time. It's fine and good to say that manual testing is obsolete when maybe you're, you know, you're you're analyzing a lot of Python code. But manual testing is not obsolete when you're deploying software in production and deploying software for users, and users are defining success or not success, not you know a, a test uh, for a Python script. Uh, your users are defining success, and manual testing takes time. I mean, yes, it's also setting up a testing suite, setting up VMs, or even setting up a GitLab or a, uh, a Vagrant setup, and setting up a depth test f- workflow. And testing takes time, and you know, it, you're getting less return probably when you have a half a dozen shop or a dozen shop versus 500, right? Where you can have five or 
two or three people testing and setting it up for 500 people. But when you have 12 people, you know, you're doing the same amount of work and you have fewer people. So the return rate ratio, something, something sounds important, uh, doesn't work out right. Um, <laughs> so, but it, this is much like buying property insurance or liability insurance. I mean, it, it, there is a small cost up front, but, but, you know, if something were to go awry, the expense at the the far end of that far outweighs the pittance that you're putting in up front, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're buying property now? Well, I'm sorry, I, I didn't understand. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is a game of monopoly. So you know, if if you're it, it, you pay for property insurance on a house, right? It, you do that so that the cost if if the house if something were to happen in the house let's say it burns down the ins- the insurance on that is to to have a game plan for not only something for you and your family to or somewhere for you and your family to stay while the house is rebuilt but also rebuilding the house um that and that's kind of the same analogy here where doing a little bit of testing up front and documentation uh, if things go sideways, here's how we're going to handle that. But also because we did testing, things won't go sideways. Hopefully. Yeah. That's the hope. Ah, long sigh. Sigh. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Matt. He just doesn't like testing. <laughs> I'm just no good at it. I fail all yeah. my tests. I fail all my own tests. <laughs> well, yeah. Just, just need to make those tests easier, apparently. More remedial. <laughs> Yeah, I got to start somewhere. Um, if I, yeah, if I was perfect, there was nothing. There'd be nothing left to do. Um, awesome. Well, that was good. That's good. Thanks for uh, joining us today for the uh, book club for dummies. Uh, as the resident dummy, I appreciate discussing this awesome book by Emily Freeman with all of you. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you, Piero. Thank you. And begrudgingly, thank you, JD. <laughs> You're welcome, Matt. <laughs> Why do you get to be the smart one? Look, I just tell you how how to go about these things. I don't actually apply these things in life. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I feel like our podcast is, uh, you know, you're Ricky Gervais and I'm Carl Pil- Pilkington or something. What's his name? <laughs> like, um, I'm the dumb friend, but oh well. Um, you're not. You're not <laughs> dumb. You're just reluctant to test. <laughs> <laughs> unless it's in production I, yes i think it, it's it's a it's part of that the the cost of testing yeah no definitely i mean we spend a lot of time automating building systems and definitely you know testing where we can right but yeah it, this yeah. for for small uh one-off contractors consultants you know you, you do what you can and certainly you hope you do the minimum or the best um but I kind of feel like those sometimes the testing is as diligent as you think you might be until you actually get it into prod <laughs> because end users are doing God knows what <laughs> you're not going to hear about something that's not working until you actually get it into production. No. And yeah. And that's where it comes to the canaries as well, right? You need yeah. someone who's testing it and using it. And yeah. that, you know, like when Catalina was barely a twinkle in my eye, I was on, you know, I most of my users are still kind of on Mojave and I'm shifting them over quickly to Catalina now um, because Big Sur has been threatened to, to, to come out soon, right? So, yeah. so now time is now to go to Catalina. But in the meantime, I've had uh, some Canary users on Catalina. And so that's when I realized that, you know, Catalina wouldn't accept the certs that I had on my monkey server. Um, and so I had to remake the certs 
And I knew that, you know, I identified the problem, figured out the solution. I had time because it was one user and, you know, if one thing broke for them, it was less important than for everybody else. And so that gave me the chance to go, oh, okay, I need to rebuild the cert because it needs to be redone in this new way for a Catalina that's more secure and is in a different format. Um, And so then, you know, it gave me, it it gives you the list of things to do to get ready for everybody. And now Catalina is going to be a non-issue while we... (laughs) block everybody and get ready for big sur you know while i'm doing my testing now of course because i'm ahead of the ball a little ahead of the curve this time but um i also noticed that uh johannes uh U- utilian i totally massacred his name but uh he <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's finnish he's finnish and he's awesome um but uh, he just updated uh thomas berglund the swedish awesome dude's uh, script called app blocker and he made it specific for Big Sur and called it, like, I think Big Sur Blocker. And basically, it made it signed and notarized. And you could just deploy it and it'll just block Big Sur completely from launching, which was just a, a, a bit of a modification and tweak from Thomas Berglund's app, which I was using for a while to block the App Store app. So people would download the app or the OS would automatically download the app and it would block it. So, yeah, I think you need to be ready for the next OS. But, you know, so yeah, Mojave's going away and Catalina's coming and Big Sur is knocking down the door so get your installers into monkey or get your installers saved up somewhere and uh, get your testing started well i think that's uh you know one of the things that that comes about with especially apple major os releases is is that the folks that are testing the os aren't necessarily using all of the features of the of the uh the operating system right um uh who did we interview who mentioned, you know, the things like time machine, uh, you know, don't get tested and, and uh, different elements of the, the operating system don't get tested. We're more worried about, can we deploy this? Does it, you know, what's the process of getting it deployed to the endpoint and through the setup screens or disabling the setup screens via MDM or, or what have you. Uh, and we don't actually get to the point of like, let's every day use this tool. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, are you going to install Big Sur, you know, or the beta OS and then live on it, you know, and they were saying that somebody was saying the Time Machine and Mail were the least tested apps because when people are testing them, they're testing on machines that aren't actually using using, right? right? So Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's good luck why, to everyone. That's why I wait to the .2 release. Yes. Actually, I wait till the .6.7 release, apparently, now. Well, I waited till .6 for uh, my XN upgrade, <laughs> and then I got promptly almost scared to death because, you know, then there was the kernel panic problem that came out, and then there was a .7. Usually .6 has been the last update, uh, but yeah, we're... Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've been a huge proponent of backups, archives, and you know, so uh, you don't upgrade systems that you can't restore somehow, um, so hopefully... You know, that's that emboldens the uh, testing and prod uh, crazy people when we have backups and ways of restoring um, clones. You know, again, Alex Narvi, he has to be name dropped so many times. But yeah, he had that. Uh, I have my Mac mini servers, you know, I have a target disk mode, other Mac mini that are they're cloned to. So, you know, it's a poor man's AWS uh-huh. scale as much as you want, as long as it's another Mac mini in target mode. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Everybody's like in shock and awe. Horror, <laughs> horror. Uh, welcome, uh, everybody, and uh, goodbye. Uh, next week is <laughs> Chapter 11, <laughs> Deploying a Product. I have no idea what that means. I will thoroughly read this chapter and be prepared for next week. Promises, promises, promises. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, see, there's no more testing once you deploy, so you'll be comfortable with this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want to sponsor the Mac DevOps podcast, uh, just give us a shout at hello at mdoyvr.com. We'll be accepting sponsorships for the podcast and for the next year's conference. Thank you to our Mac DevOps YVR 2020 sponsors. Our sponsors for Mac DevOps YVR, the conference 2020. Mac Stadium, our platinum sponsor. Thank you so much for helping us out. Sauce Labs, our gold sponsor. Simple MDM, our silver sponsor. And Adigy, our bronze sponsor, as well as Elastic, our community sponsor. Thank you so much. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests. And thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by J.D. Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. Yeah, I'm finally having these three terabyte Seagate drives finally dying after some died right away and some just dying later. <laughs> it's our new feature. Die later. <laughs>